We'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, where the, basically verses 17 and 18, which is the last thing that he wrote. We'll finish our study this morning, and then we'll start the next time we, the next time I teach, we will be doing hard passages. Now, let me just give you an idea. The first, first lesson is going to be sort of a, an overview, and then we're going to look at like Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, James chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Acts 2, 38, uh, we're going to look at uh, four or five passages that all talk about falling, falling away or falling from grace. We'll see those as well. So there'll be a lot of passages over, the, over that study. It should be a lot of fun. If there's a passage that you say, wow, I look at this passage and every time it, it messes me up, write it down and send it to me. I may already have it prepared to do, but I might not. And so if you want it, if you'll send it to me, then I can work on it and put it together and and, uh, you know, see if we can figure out what it's saying. Okay. So that's, that's coming up. Well, we've been looking at the life of Peter and, and basically the sayings of Peter. And our goal is to look at the context, see how it fits together. And what we are, we're at this, this uh, oh, let's see. We're at this part where at the very end, where he gives a warning, do not follow false teachers and fall from your own steadfastness, but here's the charge, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So for several weeks, we looked at this whole idea of not following the, uh, following the false teachers and falling, and then we spent a couple of weeks on looking at growing in the grace. And so last two lessons we saw growing in the grace. This lesson we're going to see growing in the knowledge, and we're going to talk about it in a second, and then we're going to end that with... Uh, by the results that Jesus Christ will be glorified, because that's what he actually says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So that's what we're going to see, and there's a lot in there. So when we talk about the Bible, let's just talk about it, because we've seen over and over all these things that Peter said. Many believers have been in church for years, and they don't really know the Bible. And it's kind of strange, because uh, sometimes what happens if a pastor is not doing expository teaching and not going through books of the Bible and not putting it together, then they're just basically skipping around different places, and sometimes people never able to put the whole thing together or even understand how it fits. And that's why we have our 412, our 22, and all the different Bible studies. I thought it might be fun today, I'm going to put this down for a second, and I thought it might be good to have a Bible quiz to see how you do. Don't get mad over there, but then, okay, so we're going to do it. I got some questions. This is, there's some basic questions, and they all deal with Easter. We just had Easter not too long ago, the death and resurrection of Christ. So let's see how we do. I'm going to raise, raise a question or two, and you see if you, how we answer them. Question number one, what was the Jewish, Jewish feast which was being celebrated the week that Christ was crucified? What was it? It's Passover, and also what? Unleavened bread. That was the week. Passover is the 14th day of the first month. Unleavened bread is the 15th through the 21st. They all go together, but if you wanted to say which feast was being celebrated the week Christ was crucified, you could say Passover, but you could also say unleavened bread. When Jesus entered Jerusalem during what is known as the triumphant entry, what animal was he riding? A, a donkey, right? Zechariah 9 9, right? Okay. Um, which disciple cut off the ear of the high priest's servant in an attempt to protect Jesus? Who was that? Peter. Okay, get ready. What was the name of the high priest's servant who had his ear cut off? Malchus. Yeah, exactly. Um, how did Judas identify Jesus to the soldiers? He gave him a kiss. Yeah. Um, in, when Judas returned the money to the priest... And that was given as the price of betrayal. What did Judas then do? Went and hanged himself. 
the priest took the money that Judas had returned, and what did they do with it? What did they do? They bought a field. The field was called Alcadema, which means the field of blood. They said, we can't keep this money in the treasury because it's actually blood money because we know what they did with it. So they bought a field for potter, a potter's field called Alcadema. Um, what did Pilate's wife counsel him to do concerning Jesus? She said, leave him alone. I had a bad dream about all this. Um, what was the inscription above the cross? If you look, you have to go all, all the Gospels to get the answer because they don't all give you the whole answer. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's the whole thing that was above there. Some of them just will say he was the King of the Jews, or he, but it was all of it. Um, following, this, okay, following the statements of Jesus on the cross, what, there was a statement by a Roman soldier concerning Christ. What did he say? He said what? Surely he was the... Son of God. And he also says, what did you say it to? He was a servant. Yeah, that one gospel says he was a servant or he was a righteous man. Another one says he was the Son of God. What happened in the temple as a sign that the death of Jesus made the way for the individual believer to approach God? The veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, there was darkness in the land. How long did the darkness last? Three hours from 12 to... Three. Now, let me ask you something. What, when was Jesus put on the cross? What time? Nine o'clock in the morning. And when did he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, <clears throat> the morning sacrifice, what time did they offer the morning sacrifice in the temple? Nine o'clock. What time did they offer the evening sacrifice in the temple? Three o'clock. Exactly. It all ties together. Um, in John 19, two men helped prepare the body of Christ for, for burial. One was said to be a secret disciple, and another came secretly to Jesus. Who were these two people? Who are they? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Exactly. Wow. I think y'all did really good. Yeah. On most of them. Some of, wake up. If there's anybody out there, are you awake? Okay, here we go. All right, I thought that would be fun to look at that. Because some, and the reason I brought that up is because some people, when they read this verse, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they think it says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Bible. It doesn't say grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Bible. It says grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's the one that's grace. See, the grace of God has appeared teaching, you know, bringing salvation and teaching and looking for the blessed hope. It's all the grace of God. And in this passage, if you notice, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you think about the Bible, we always say the Bible's inspired and it's alive and never void and it's the truth. But in 2 Peter 3, 17, 18, notice something carefully. This passage does not say grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, and which we are to do. This passage says grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? And what do we do? And what does that mean? And that's what we want to look at in Peter's final writing. And so in Peter 7, uh, and by the way, it says, in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord, it means deity, and Savior is the one who died and rose again. So when you say Jesus, I've had people say, you need to make Jesus Lord. Listen, he's God. That's what he's already, you don't make him anything. By the way, just understand that. You don't make Jesus anything. You don't say, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. No, he's already Lord of everything. You don't make him that. You don't make him your Savior. 
He already is the Savior of the world, especially those who believe, as it says in the Scripture. And so there's a lot there. Uh, and, and, of course, a lot of stuff that's sort of contrary and confusing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let's, let's hold your place in Second Peter. And we're going to turn to Philippians because Philippians talks about where Paul talks about knowing Christ. Okay? So Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And we'll start at verse 7. And we're going to see what he writes about knowing Christ. And because it's really important because we could say, look, we know what it means to know the Bible. It means to study it and be applying it and, and, you know, being able to understand it and be able to pass it on to others. But in Philippians, Paul is talking about his life and how he wants to know Jesus. And you could say, wait a minute, Paul is writing. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. Doesn't he already know Christ? Well, it's according to what we mean to know Christ. Because he says here in Second uh, Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So let's talk about it. And so in verse 7, Paul says in Philippians, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted a loss for the sake of Christ. I, I said, everything in my life up to then, knowing Christ, it basically was counting to Christ. Everything, in fact, he says in verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So what does it mean to know him? And for each of us in this room, we'd say, Do you know Christ? And, and we, a lot of times when we say, do you know Christ, we're referring to what? We're talking about eternal life salvation. Do you know him as your Savior? And, and I want you to understand there's two aspects. What does it mean to know Christ? There is an aspect of knowing him for salvation that you say, I, I, I know him. I know who he is. I know he died on the cross for me and paid for his sins. And I believed in him for eternal life, so I know him as my Savior. But there's also an aspect of a fellowship aspect. And this is what we're going to see in Philippians. And this is what it means when Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He didn't say, now I want you to come to know him as Savior. That's not what Peter is writing. He's saying, I want you to come to know him in a fellowship way. And so we'll look at that as we go through it. And so there is an aspect of know for salvation because he died on the cross, paid for sin, and we believe in him. But there's a fellowship aspect that we know him. And so let's start because he, Paul is going in a flow and he's going to talk about knowing him for salvation. Look at Philippians 3, 9. And being found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now that's the idea of knowing him as what? As Savior. That's salvation. Because what we, he says this, I'm found in Christ. I don't have my own righteousness because the righteousness of the law is nothing. But I have the righteousness which is by faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And a lot of people do not understand that. You understand that when the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as for eternal life, he gives you his righteousness. And that means your standing before God is perfectly righteous because you have God's righteousness. Now, your, your state, your experience may not be that. But you're standing before God as he says, you're completely righteous because I gave you my righteousness called imputation, where our, God's righteousness is imputed, credited to the believer. Really, really incredible. Then he says, there's more though, but notice verse 10, that I may know him. Wait, and we stop, we could stop right there and say, wait a minute, you already know him as Savior. What do you mean you want to know him? Look what he says. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And I'm going to go ahead and read the next verse and we'll talk about it because it's a little bit hard. In order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you've never studied this, you're going to be surprised what this means, okay? He says, I want to know him. I want to know, I want to literally, in the Greek, come to know him. Now, we'd say, does Paul already know him as Savior? Yes. What kind of knowledge is he talking about then? It's a fellowship aspect. I could say for a lot of you, oh, I know you. I know you. I know. But then some of you, I could say, I, I really know you because I've, I've spent time with you. I, or I might say, I know you, but I really want to know you. I want to spend some time with you. I want, to, I want to grow in that way. And so that's why when Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, he's not telling them uh, the, to grow and finally know him as Savior because he's already talked about that they're already believers and he didn't want them to fall for a moment steadfastness, but he wants them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He wants them to grow. And so he says here, notice this verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There are two things here. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Now, this aspect comes by knowing him in a fellowship way. It's by knowing him in a fellowship way. It's not by just knowing him eternal life salvation. It's knowing him in a fellowship way. So let's look what he says. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So let's start with the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? Well, Jesus died on the cross and then what? rose to a new life. He has victory over sin and death. Do you realize, and Adam has a class that he teaches, that he's got one whole class in SBI that deals with this whole idea of identification and the death and resurrection of Christ. And he says, we, we, learn, we learn from Romans 6, what does it say? That when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we're identified with the death and resurrection of Christ. And Paul is saying that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it was probably the most powerful event on the face of the earth. He died. They put him in the tomb. Three days later, three days and three nights later, he rose again. Power of the resurrection to conquer death for every person who's ever existed and ever will exist. That's the power. And in Romans chapter 6, it actually says that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're identified in Christ, and we died and rose again with him to a new life. The power of the resurrection. You, you can live, and we're going to see in just a minute, a resurrected life, which is different than just going through life. This is, you know Christ, and you know this power of the resurrection, because that's who he is. He's the one that gives life. He rose, and, and so that's what we learn from Romans chapter 6. But, and by the way, we don't have to sin. We don't have to fall in sin. We don't have to always be falling and confessing, because he says, you got the power of Jesus Christ and the new life. Look, look at this right here. This is Colossians 3.1. It says, we died and rose again, and we've been raised up with Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Let me ask you a question. It, positionally, where are you right now? You are seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's where you are. You've been raised up with Jesus Christ. There's at least four or five different places that talks about believers being raised up and seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Ephesians says it. Colossians says it. That's where you are positionally. Experientially, you're still here. But you are with Christ right now, seated in the heavenly places. And you have a resurrected life that you can live out in the power of the resurrection. 
And, and we, we, you know, Jesus said, you know, because we live in this fallen world, and Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. We have the world, the flesh, the devil. That's all the battles. But notice verse 11. And this, well, we'll come back to the fellowship. But Well, let's, let's do fellowship and suffering, and we'll come back to, the, to verse 11 in a second. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the what? What else? The fellowship of his suffering. And the word fellowship there means the sharing, the connection with his what? Suffering. You want to suffer? How many would like to suffer? If you know him and you get connected with him, and you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. Is that making a funny noise? Or maybe that's because I was standing over there. Okay. Um, you understand that? Paul said that not only do we know him, but we suffer with him. Now, we talked about this before, that in our country, we rarely suffer for Jesus Christ. But it's coming. If Jesus doesn't come get us, it's coming. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Already, people who are Christians are sometimes considered to be hateful because we don't follow their ways and believe their beliefs. And so, we've been, there's a fellowship of his suffering. Wow. Now, when Jesus called Paul and he told Ananias to go, Paul was blind for three days. And he told a guy by the name of Ananias to go and lay hands on Paul so that he could see. And he said, Ananias said, I don't want to go do that exactly because I've heard about that Paul was really a bad man and he was trying to kill all the Christians. And God said, no, 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 no. He's a chosen vessel for me and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for connected with me. When we're connected with him, when we know the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering, we're going to suffer. And then he goes on and says, verse 11, so that in order that I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. That doesn't mean I hope one day to be raised physically from the dead. The resurrection of the dead he's talking about is right now living out a resurrected life, knowing that you died and rose again with Christ. You have the power of God for the resurrected life, and you're connected with him for the suffering. That's the resurrected life. Now, let's be honest with you. Some of, you, some of us don't want that. I just soon go, I just keep going through life. I don't really care about all this. Paul says, I do care. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of suffering. I want to live in such a way that I obtain to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, live a resurrected life. And just a little bit, we're going to baptize some people. And when we baptize people, we're actually doing Romans chapter 6. We're saying they believed in Jesus Christ, and they died with him, they were buried with him, and they rose to a new life with him. That's what baptism is for, showing that a person has already believed in Christ for eternal life, and this is their connection. Well, Paul says, when you know him, you'll understand the power of that resurrected life and the fellowship of that suffering, and you can live out a resurrected life, gaining victory for Jesus Christ. And you know what Paul goes on to say? He said, I had not got it yet. He said, not, I, I, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it. He said, I'm not already still living out the, the resurrected life. Now, let me tell you, if Paul's not living it out, man. <laughs> but he's saying it's a powerful thing. So what does it mean to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior? Paul says, I want to know him. The fellowship, the power of his resurrected life, and the share in the suffering. So go back to, to 2 Peter. 
And so what does Peter say? He says you need to grow. And you need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wow. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, you're going to spend time with him, right? Now, it's okay. You you, you use scripture because that's where you see who he is. That's what you see what he's done. But he's saying you need to realize that we're connected with him. We died and rose again with him and that we want to live in such a way that we know him, not only in eternal life salvation, but we know him in a fellowship aspect that we identify with him and we understand the power of a resurrected life and a sharing in the suffering of Christ. Now, to be honest with you, no believers really want to share in the suffering. But that's what he says we'll do when we're connected with him. And that's what the first century talked about, that they shared, you know, Paul talked about sharing in the suffering of Christ, filling up the suffering of Christ. So as we get to the end of this, these final words, guard yourself, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then look how it ends. Uh, verse 17, 18, he says, to him, to the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, he's the Lord and the Savior. He's God and he's the Savior. And it says, to him be glory, the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so Peter says, he gets all the glory. And I put this right here. I said, he's why we live. He's why we serve. He is why we live and move and have our being. It's all him. And so what should we say? We should say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you better than I've ever known you. I know you as Savior. You, I believe that you died for me and rose again, and you give me eternal life, and I'm trusted in that, and I'm saved and saved forever. I know that. But I want to know you, not just know about you. I want to know you. I want to spend time with you. I want to grow and, and understand the resurrected life, that I can have victory over sin and death, and that I can identify with you even as I suffer in a fallen world, I want to live in that way. And so, guard ourselves. This is his last words. May we keep on growing. May Jesus Christ get all the glory. So application-wise, uh, let's grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So understand grace and live in the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't understand grace. I told you. That I think we do. We've got it. Where we realize, listen, there's not one thing I can do to be saved, not one thing I do to keep myself saved. It has nothing to do with me. It's all the grace of God. It's all a gift. And I understand the grace of God and for all of that aspect. And not only the grace of God for eternal life salvation, but this Christian life is all the grace of God. And even the future as I look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. It's all the grace of God. So we do that. But there's a lot of people out there that say grace, but they don't mean grace. They don't understand it. They've never understood what you understand. And so they, they need to. Second, understand what it means to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's not knowing him as Savior there. It's understanding the power of the resurrection life and the fellowship of the suffering. And, and you know, think about a life lived in the power of Jesus Christ understanding that the power that raised him from the dead is available to you to live it out. We always say, uh, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the Father did, but the Son did, but the Spirit did too. Romans says he's declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead by the Spirit of holiness, Holy Spirit. Wow. Understand what it means to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ get all the glory. That's what it's all about, isn't it? 
Your whole life, what's your whole life for? It's to glorify Jesus Christ. I know that's not how we think most of the time. Maybe, a lot of times, we don't. maybe you don't get up every morning and say, oh boy, I want this whole life and day to count for you. Sometimes we don't think that way. Or maybe not until after we get coffee, and then we start thinking that way. But the goal is, that what is our life for? Why are we here? Why does God allow us to be here? It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And then, let's understand and make application of the truths we've seen in the sayings of Peter. And there's 28 lessons. So we saw a lot of stuff over the, over the weeks and everything, and there's a lot there. But when you look at Peter's life, we saw him from doing bad and doing good and being a leader and messing up and being great. And we've seen even his last letter, which basically is, hey, listen, don't get carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall. Don't fall. Don't quit growing. But what I want you to do is make sure you grow and grow in the knowledge, grace and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants.